You're listening to Partners United on Gender, brought to you by the Shehu Musa Yaradua Foundation, with support from the MacArthur Foundation. Institutionalized gender-based violence is a significant challenge for women in Nigeria. The culture of sexual harassment in the workplace and on university campuses poses a serious threat to the well-being and empowerment of young women in the country. Sexual violence creates unsafe spaces for women, destroys their self-esteem, impedes their personal and professional development, and institutionalized harassment such as sex for grades rigs the educational system against women and undermines the credibility of their qualification. My name is Kemi Okeyundok, Executive Program Officer at the Shehu Musa Foundation. Welcome to our first episode on the Gender Justice Podcast. Our guest today is Professor Ayo Ashinwa, Deputy Vice-Chancellor, Development Studies, University of Lagos. Welcome to the podcast. Please, can you enlighten us? What is gender-based violence? Okay, Kemi, let me say thank you once again for having me on. And um, I think this is going to be an engaging conversation because it's very, very contemporary. It is germane. And um, I hope this conversation can contribute to deepening the understanding of what it is that we have happening around us. So what's gender-based violence? Gender-based violence is the violence that is targeted at a person simply because of their gender, either the gender they identify with or the gender they are identified with. So what makes it different from every other form of violence is simply that it is premised on that devaluation of that gender. And in this particular case, the devaluation or the diminishing of the status of one gender, in this case, the female gender. So gender-based violence, simply speaking, is violence targeted at one gender and it would encompass um, sexual violence, which tends to be more targeted at women. It would encompass spousal abuse, which tends to feature women more as the victims. It would also include, you know, it it would include abductions in situations of conflict. Thank you so much, Prof. Why is gender-based violence a problem? I think gender-based violence is a problem largely because it's it is a manifestation of the inequities that we find in society. In turn, it reinforces those inequities. You find a situation where somebody thinks that a female has offended him and he thinks that the way to teach her a lesson is to rape her or somebody thinks that a woman has committed, has done something wrong and thinks that the way to punish her is to um, unclothe her publicly. You, you really find men fight publicly and then the next thing is you want to remove his pants so that you can shame him and you can show his genitals. But that is a way of treating women consistently so that you can shame them. So what makes it a problem is that it, it communicates that in that society, 
where that is tolerated, in that relationship, where that is tolerated or excused, the message is that there's a validation of the perception that that gender, that woman needs to be treated that way. And it is a whole devaluation of not just the person who is being victimized, but the entirety, because she's not being treated as she, she's being treated as woman. And the danger with that is that when others see it tolerated, impunity is fostered and it just remains that way. Aside from that, you know, it's um it also increases vulnerability now, which affects the quality of the life of those who are at risk of gender-based violence. Because you're at risk of gender-based violence, you are probably people continue to make decisions about your life. So let's take what's happening in the Northeast, for example, or the North of Nigeria generally. Girls are more vulnerable to being abducted or were more vulnerable were more vulnerable. And so it was more likely to be girls who will drop out of school because they do not want to take that chance. So it continues to, it makes, it's pernicious and it just continues to provide validation for other forms of violence. And it it is also a problem because, you know, at the end of the day, it's very costly for all of society. It's very costly. It dehumanizes all of us in society. It doesn't just dehumanize the gender that is targeted. It dehumanizes because it sends the message that we're ready to treat the other as inferior. And that suggests that we ourselves have a problem. Whoever is perpetrating that has a problem. Thank you very much, ma'am. From what you have told us now, you've, I mean, you've You've shed more light on the fact that gender-based violence is a problem because of the inequalities we have in the society. And some of these inequalities are perpetuated based on um, accepted practices. But cultural practices that we seem to have accepted that has become a norm um, that maybe we are not aware of it that are perpetuating or reinforcing some of these vulnerabilities. I I think I understand what it is that you were trying to speak about. Basically, it's like um, the role that cultural attitudes, values and practices play in enabling gender-based violence. Yes, cultural practices are possibly the major enabler. You know, I started out by talking about the values placed on the male and female in traditional society. And so it's like um, what women do is regarded as inferior. So let's take, for example, women's work is regarded as inferior type of work. You find it continuing even today because in the computation of GDP, you know, women's work is still not captured. And so women's contribution to GDP seems insignificant because quite a number of the, quite a huge portion of the work that we do is in the domestic sphere, which is not really computed. So now moving from there, you find that because there's that valuation 
culturally sustained that one is superior and one is inferior, we tend to pass it on as the values. We pass it on unwittingly. We pass it on and we evolve. We provide tolerance for, you know, the you say inequality, whether we say it's inequality, whether we say it's inequity, whichever it is, but we provide the justification that tolerates that, that says, you know, that, that, that allows us to provide the validation for or the legitimization of gender-based violence. We teach it spoken and unspoken in the way that we culture our society. And that is why I will say that culture is the greatest enabler. So what happens, the perception is that marriage, for example, the two in marriage are not equal. One is superior, one is inferior, one makes the decision, the other only implements decision. And when the other that in traditional perception or cultural perception, so you get things like, eh, when your husband was speaking, why didn't you also keep quiet? Eh, why did you dress that way? Why did you, why did you defy that male? You know, why did you, why did you do that? And it's almost like rationalizing and then, in the, you know, the violence and then passing responsibility on to the victim as though the victim brought it on. It was if you didn't wear what you were wearing, if you didn't go to school, you know, if you stayed at home, you would not have been assaulted on the way to school. That's why we're saying girls should not be forward. That's why we're saying so you get to the workplace and, you know, it's the same thing. It's, you know, so. Uh, it's the it's a cultural tolerance for violence, or the or let's put it this way: the cultural preparedness to excuse violence and not to call out violence and not to call out perpetrators of violence because there's um, validation or legitimization or excuse for the the violence against a particular gender. Prof, we have talked about ge- about the definition of gender-based violence. We've looked at the causes of gender-based violence and its impact on the society broadly and within the workplace. How can we deal decisively with gender-based violence? I think that if we're going to deal decisively with gender-based violence, we have to do three very important things. And all three are equally important and they must take this simultaneously. The first thing we need to do is we need to debrief society. We need to unpack that cultural validation of gender-based violence. Um, And that requires a lot of education and, and education that debriefs and education that then replaces you know, um, that is targeted and aimed and structured, well-structured to deliver a reorientation. We just can't assume that because people go to school that they will then get debriefed of that, except it is, you know, it's, um, it's targeted, it is designed. You can't assume that because people go to church or they go to mosques, they are not going to do that. It has, it's some level of programming that we want to achieve and we must structure it, we must design it, we must bring in all the stakeholders in that regard. 
The other thing we need to do is that we need to empower the at-risk population when we talk of GBV. We need to empower the at-risk population. There is a high tolerance threshold for gender-based violence, at least, uh, although I would say that younger women are challenging that, but he, uh, historically, the tolerance threshold for gender-based violence has been high. We need to empower you, it, women and girls in such a way that they have, they do not tolerate, they do not ignore, they recognize it when it's happening and they are able to speak out against it and also assist them to reduce their risk vulnerabilities. So, for example, violence, and let's talk about why women will take a lot of domestic violence, which is likely a form of gender-based violence. And that is because most women feel that they are trapped. There is, there is, the, um, there is the stigmatization of women who are not married, although gender on the decrease, but it is still there. But let's talk about the economic um, power issues. So a woman who is facing gender-based violence in form of sexual violence, but or in form of domestic violence, broadly speaking, physical violence, but is dependent on the person that the perpetrator of the violence. And in a society where there is almost no way out, we find that we also talk about women on women gender-based violence because when women are enforcing some traditional cultures, some norms or some standards against other women. In the, and here I'm talking likely about widowhood practices. I'm talking about violence on maybe um, domestic servants who unfortunately tend to be more of the girl child and the like. But we also need to enable women, empower women to be able to get out because a lot of gender-based violence also takes place in intimate partner relationship settings. A lot does take place there. And it's more difficult for women to get out of this context because of the asymmetry of power and this time I'm talking of not just of the you know, political power, as, but the economics. Too many women are trapped in relationships that are characterized by gender-based violence because they are economically dependent. And finally, I think I just must emphasize that it is not enough to prohibit gender-based violence. It is critically important that we signal to society that we're committed to enforcing the prohibition by punishing perpetrators, by sanctioning perpetrators. Thank you so much, Prof. With this, we've come to the end of our discussion on today's podcast on gender-based violence. Once again, I'd like to thank Professor Aywa Chinua of the University of Lagos for making our time to be with us today. Um, I'd like to en encourage our listeners to visit our whistleblowing platform, www.genderjusticeorg.org.ng to report cases of sexual gender-based violence on the campuses of our tertiary institutions. Once again, thank you. Thank you, Prof. Thank you very much, Kemi.
Thank you for having me. To join the conversation about gender and accountability in Nigeria, visit www.partnersunited.org. To report any issues you have concerning gender-based violence in Nigeria, please visit www.genderjustice.org.ng. And for partnership and other inquiries, kindly contact us at info at partnersunited.org.